Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni. I'm your host, John Steele. Let's get rocking here. So as I mentioned last week, I'm actually on vacation this week. So no new episode this week, unless you're a brand new listener, in which case this will be totally new for you. And that's fantastic. For the rest of you, this will be a fun revisit with one of our old guests, Nika from the University of Minnesota. Really, the introduction that I gave when Nika first came on the show is still the best introduction that I could think of. So I'm just going to reread that for you. And then we're just going to jump right in here. So Nika and I had a fantastic conversation about walking through situations and seasons of life when we're not sure how or if God is even at work. Are we just wasting our time when we find ourselves in these holding patterns in life? Or are there things happening in the background that we aren't aware of? Nika had so many wise words to share, and I hope you benefit from listening to them as much as I did while I got to chat with him. So without any further ado, here is a revisit of our conversation with Nika. This one's for you, alumni. Nika, welcome to the podcast. I'm really glad to have you here today. Thank you very much. You know, InterVarsity was a very integral part of my college experience, so this is super neat to get to have this conversation with you. Thanks for having me on. So for people who are listening and don't already know, where is it that you went to school and when did you graduate? I attended the University of Minnesota right here in Minneapolis. And it was May 2019 that I graduated. So coming up on two years here. You look back and you say, wow, it's already been two years or has this been a really slow two years for you? They have flown by. It's been like cut up into several month chunks and it's a few months prior, something will pop up that was never on my radar. Of course, with the pandemic, it's been a real roller coaster. I look forward to hearing more about uh, some of these things that have been coming up post-graduation. Before that, what was it that you studied in school and what are you doing now? When I started at the University of Minnesota, was undeclared at first, but uh, ended up graduating with what was essentially a broad biology degree. The degree was called Biology, Society, and the Environment. And that was with the intention of attending medical school. That was a common preparatory undergraduate degree. At the moment, I am working as an emergency medical technician. How long have you been doing that now? We're going on about seven months now. I think I was hired in August. I would imagine that just in general, you would have some stories to tell, but then to tack on being an EMT in the middle of a pandemic probably just adds a whole nother layer to the interesting experiences that you would have. I'm I'm guessing, not having done it myself. Anyone in emergency medical services, the thing they all have in common is that they love sharing their stories. Um, Just last night, I was trying to get a blood pressure on someone who was handcuffed. Uh, we were t- we were taking a guy into the hospital. So it's a segment of life that I had no idea existed prior to starting the work. But it's been super meaningful. Not where I expected to be, 
but I think it's exactly the spot I'm supposed to be. Are you still planning on going to med school or is that on hold? Lord willing, that's still the plan. My intention had been to start medical school pretty soon after finishing undergrad. Now, I did not get in that cycle. So now I've decided to reapply the second cycle and then spent that year getting experiences that looked good on my resume that would hopefully make me a better clinician. So I got to do some research. And then, yes, this job as an EMT has been a way to get hands-on care and experience with patients. In that regard, it's been uh, phenomenal. I'm excited to hear more about all of this as we move down the road here. But first, one of the, the things that many people listening have in common is that they have some sort of origin story with InterVarsity, and it's fun to hear the similarities and differences in those things. So tell me the story of how you got started with InterVarsity as a student. Yeah, I remember the day like it was yesterday. I went to the University of Minnesota with the pretty common advice that okay, you got to find some kind of campus ministry, some kind of student group, you know, to be involved with. So I was keeping my eyes open and I did check out a few of them. But uh, prior to going to college, I had heard about the Urbana Missions Conference. My mom had attended that years ago and had a phenomenal experience. Actually, my parents are missionaries. So that was part of my mom's experience getting into missions. And I knew that InterVarsity did the missions conference and I was walking up towards the student union and I noticed a table with the university sign on it. And I put two and two together and I was like, Urbana, I'm going to go talk to them. And they're like, yeah, we can get you more information. And in the meantime, are you interested in checking out some of our other events? And before I knew it, I was, you know, attending every single event they had <laughs> during the week and, you know, hook, line and sinker. That's awesome. Speaking from the experience of someone who has done a lot of tabling in a student union before, let me tell you, it's really nice when you get to have an experience like that. So then tell me some stories about what life in InterVarsity was like for you. So our chapter at the time was quite a small group. And this is actually what drew me to the group. You know, in no time, I knew everyone's name in the room. And there were some people who were just really generous in their time trying to get to know you. You felt like they really wanted to get to know you personally. So I was immediately attracted to that smaller group. I'm more of an introvert. It was exactly what I needed. Uh, one fun story that comes to mind is one of the members in our group had a background in the Jewish tradition. So when the time came around, we did the Seder meal during the Passover. And he kind of walked us through an abbreviated version of this, but we all cooked different portions of the meal. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but each, each component is very, very meaningful. All this incredible symbolism that gives you a much deeper appreciation for elements of the Bible. And I, I actually found it gave me a bit of a confidence boost in this thing I was believing in. It's like, wow, there is a lot of depth here. That was just a super cool time to come together. And yeah, so going on, I ended up trying to lead a Bible study in one of the residence halls. And this was a new one that we were trying to plant in this dorm. And it was a very challenging experience. You were starting from square one. You were starting with total strangers. But yeah, long story short, we ended up having a, a really special group that came together. And I think my efforts to try facilitate that Bible study was probably the most 
intense or productive growth as far as my relationship with God, mostly because I would leave and yeah, I'd be riding the light rail home and I'd just be thinking like, oh, did that mean anything? Did all that fall on deaf ears? Is it worth it? You know, so many questions like that. Am I leading people astray? <laughs> Are they just attending to be polite? There were so many questions, but slowly it just became really clear that during this season, that little group that we developed filled a really meaningful role, both in my life and in the members who participated. Having led small groups before, I can identify with every single one of those sentiments that you walk away with. I'm hopeful that those are indicators that we are being serious about the way that we're handling God's word. But there are also ways that that can go off the rails and can, you know, take us down to these places of like, oh, I'm having no impact whatsoever. Those moments, we we can never know for sure what's happening inside, what's being cultivated in people. Uh, but we can be confident that the Lord is certainly working in us as we're experiencing those things and he is cultivating us and growing us. How long were you leading a small group? I think it was about two years. And towards the second half, there was one member who was interested. So I was trying to pass along the skills I'd learned and then confidence too, giving a confidence boost. So I think it was two years. And then the second part of that, I was trying to step back a little bit and participate under him. Trying to replace yourself so that the small group can continue on after you're gone. Yeah, discipleship. That's what we're trying to do sometimes with varying success. But yeah, that's that's kind of what, what Christianity comes down to. So true. I mean, you think of Jesus getting to the end of his ministry. Here he is, the son of God. And he has just like, you know, a few handfuls of people that are really dedicated to him. And how often we might look at that and say, wow, God himself could only end his three-year ministry with just a few handfuls of people really following him and recognizing that it is so little about the quantity of people that we have following and jumping in as much as it is about the quality of what they're experiencing, the way that they're growing. And uh, yeah, and that people just say no. Uh, Jesus was really used to people telling him no all the time. And then you just really celebrate the yeses. So when you have this this person jump in and, and say they want to take over for you, that's uh, that's always something to celebrate. Oh, there's so many thoughts spinning off of um, what you say there. But I think the society that we live in, in particular in the U.S., you're told to expect kind of infinite growth. It, it kind of fits into the American dream. Like if you work hard enough, you can expect sort of exponential growth. And we like it to be really tangible and we like it to be really immediate. Okay, in school, if I study hard, the grade reflects it. It's hard not to take those other areas of life and apply it to spirituality or what we see as progress for God. But that was a big lesson that, no, it's, it's not a formula where if I bring the perfect snack, I'm going to attract a bigger <laughs> crowd. And I tried, I, I kind of became a, a baker <laughs> during nice. that stage in life. You try get everything just right. But uh, the lesson that came through very clearly was that, nope, this is the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. And it's at a very different pace. God's timeline is different. And we have to be perceptive. You often can't see things happening immediately. But when you look back, you say, I now see how the pieces fit together. 
it is so much harder to really understand what's going on in the inner workings of someone's heart. Again, we have to entrust those things to God and say like, I'm being faithful in the things you've invited me to do. And I trust that you are working your plans out in people the way that you see fit and that you are working in people as they're saying yes or saying no to you. And that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is just to give them the opportunity. Okay, so a couple of years leading this study, you're starting to approach graduation, you're handing off leadership, you're finishing up final projects, all of these things. As you're approaching graduation, where is your mind going as far as what the next phase of your life is going to look like? In a lot of ways, it was all kind of spelled out for me. At the time, I'd been in quite a serious relationship. I was even thinking about marriage. I'm not married now, so that tells you where that went. And probably the bigger one, the goal was, okay, get into medical school, four years, and then residency taken care of. And that's going to be my occupation. That was real clear cut. You've given us some insights when we first jumped on here, but how did that end up going? Did things work out the way that you anticipated? They they did work out. They always work out, but not as I would uh, anticipated there. It became, you know, as the months go and you're waiting for that email as an invitation to interview. As the months go, it sort of became clear and clear that I wasn't getting in anywhere. I knew I could apply again, but I had to sit down and come to terms with the fact that this kind of life that I'd imagined for myself, this journey I'd imagined taking might not happen. And that, that was a very humbling thing. When you work really hard towards this goal, it was for a career, you know, that has a lot of prestige or status associated with it, all of a sudden it's like, oh man, I might have to do something else. What would that be? But the place that I think I reached was like, okay, God, um, I'm kind of at a loss. I've sort of reached the end of the rope and there's a lot of ways that this could go. I don't feel certain towards one or the other. Show me where to put my foot next. Uh, Wow. So many things that are coming up as you're talking about this. And it seems to me that all of them really revolve around what do you do when the reality of life does not match the expectations that you had? How do you respond to these things? Let me just say that, Nika, I can identify with so many things that you're talking about. So really brief history on me here. I'm from Indiana. And I studied psychology at Indiana Wesleyan in Marion. And I was dating a girl at the time who lived in Minnesota. So I had decided, okay, I'm moving to Minnesota. I'm going to go to grad school for a clinical psychology program out there. And I'm going to be closer to this girl that I've only dated long distance for a number of years now. And we're going to figure out life. I'll be there for a couple of years and I'll graduate, move on to a PhD program, get married, all of this stuff. And I do not work in the field of psychology and I am married to a different person. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's wild. You have everything lined up so nicely. God, why don't you help me? You know, I've got I've got it all set up. (laughs) Yes. I really enjoyed my program. I graduated from the program. It was a phenomenal program, but there were many times, especially later on, as I was recognizing that there were certain things that were not going to work out the way that I thought they would. And I remember just walking to my car after whatever it was that I was doing and just saying over and over again, God, why did you bring me here? What are you doing? It does not make any sense to me. Did you have any of those kinds of moments of just slumping down in the chair after something happens and just saying like, God, what are you doing here? 
Oh, totally. And it's really deflating. But one way I would find myself looking at it is this year is wasted. I had this plan that was very productive. I was going to be very busy. It was going to put me several steps closer to the end goal. And if the end goal is when I can be most productive and most useful in the world or in some kind of ministry, why wouldn't I want to be there? You know, why am I going to take another gap year? And I did a gap year before college. I'm now on my third gap year. I am now a big fan of them. I think God really uses gap years, but 100%. God, what am I doing here? I'll find a job. I'll make some money, keep up with friends. But what's the big thing that you have that you're working in the background? What can't I see is 100% the question that I was asking. Have you started to get any answers to that question? Yeah, I have. I forget who it was, but somebody told me, and this is stuck with me, that we humans forget very quickly. If you look at the Israelites in the Bible, they also forgot very quickly. So taking time to sit and look back is invaluable. Here's an example. I have a coworker on the ambulance. You always have one other person. So one person drives and then one person is in the back of the ambulance with the patient. And my coworker at the moment would not consider himself someone of faith, but he has told me that this job is making him more open to it. He says he's considering spirituality in a way that he never did before. He's been in situations where he felt at a total loss and actually found himself praying to God, whoever that was. And pretty early on, he says, Nika, you know, ever since I started working to you, I keep running into patients who are people of faith, whether it was somebody telling them about their experience meeting their wife in the choir, or people who are at the end of their life, and they're asking really difficult questions about going ahead with treatment or letting this disease take its course. I mean, just rock bottom life shaking questions where they're left with no other options, but inquiring something of God. So he started to pick up on some trend like, okay, We started working together and I'm seeing a lot of these patients. And as much as I could, I tried to be open about my faith. I had some very difficult calls where there was nothing I could do. And I prayed with some of the patients. They'd let me know that they were someone of faith. And I asked, can I pray for you? And they, yeah, we were both the patient and I were kind of, we had done what we could and the rest we had to trust to God's hands. So I would be open about those things with my coworker. And I don't know where he stands as far as his faith. But if God has put me in this season of another unexpected, unplanned gap year, it might be for the sole purpose of having these conversations with this coworker. People are far more important to God than the goals that I've set for myself or the salary that I want to be earning when I reach this point. We're, we're invited by God into what he's doing. And stuff really starts to make sense and fit together and go more smoothly when we're able to see that currency or that set of values, which God sees the world through. Now that's hard. Is that worth it? Does that make this gap year worth it? I think in God's economy, 100%. I don't know the full picture, but... I've had to come to terms with, yeah, maybe that's the occupation that God has for me this year. 
it's really interesting to hear you talk about that and to think back to the stories that you were sharing about being a small group leader and the nights of riding home on the light rail saying like, oh God, did this have any impact tonight or did it just fall on deaf ears? And that God was wrestling through those questions with you even while you were in school. And that now you're in this place where you're asking a very similar question, but maybe in a different context of like, God, does this year even matter? Is this year having any impact on me or the people around me? Is there anything going on in the life of my coworker? And that once again, you're left in this place of like, my only option is to be faithful to the opportunities that are in front of me and to trust that God is working things out around me and in me as this is happening. To me, I just look at that and I see such a, a parallel between the ways that God has already been encountering you and working in you and what's happening in your life right now, that it's just like same story, different day. That's, I had, I had not uh, put those next to each other, compared them. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. I'm interested to know in this relationship with your coworker, is that something that you went into saying, okay, I'm going to try to find ways to share my faith with my coworker or something that just kind of showed up on your doorstep? No, I wish I could say that I'd been real diligent about taking these opportunities as they came up, but no, it was the chance to earn a paycheck and to put something on my resume. I actually found that more and more I'm seeing openness to certain parts of religion or faith. But for the majority of my, in my line of work, it's quite a pessimistic or cynical crowd. They see people at their worst. They see people treating other people in awful ways or people whose life ends too early. A lot of them don't want anything to do with God. So that was my experience early on. So it actually came as quite a surprise when I encountered someone who was willing to hear what I had to say or was actually asking those questions for themselves. I think a lot of the time we have to go about our regular day. We have our occupation, whatever it is, whether you're a student or whether you have a job that's paying you, we have our occupation and that's a good thing. God created work and we have to go in and clock in and clock out and do whatever our chores or responsibilities are. But then in the midst of that, we look for where God might be. Where is the soil soft? Where can some digging or a thoughtful question make an impact? Yeah, especially in this day and age, I think that our evangelism is such a relational evangelism to be the follower of Jesus that you are and to live honestly and with integrity as you're working alongside this person and then being ready for those moments when they come. It seems to me it's way less about us trying to conjure up opportunities and more about us taking the opportunities that are presented to us. And there are places that once you have built some relational capital with someone, you can be a little bit more risky in the questions that you might pose and praying that Lord, would you be seen through me by my coworker here? And frankly, so much easier. It's such a relief to be able to just go about my job and just be watching for a chance to encourage someone or wrestle through philosophical questions about good in the world. That's so much easier than trying to totally change how somebody views the world, try to save someone. That's Christ's work. And he's very good at it. 
Nika, can I ask you about something that maybe it's a tender subject? And if you don't want to talk about it, I totally get it. But it feels like it's still in the same realm that we're talking about here. And that's this relationship that you said you had in a way that's honoring to the situation. Can you talk a little bit about what that has been like for you? Those expectations not working out the way that you had anticipated? Yeah, I'm actually engaged uh, to someone else. I'm going to be getting married in a few months. (laughs) Hey, congratulations. Thank you. The thing that I've walked away with is that God is in the background. God is working. And he knows far better than I do. And although God is all powerful and all knowing, we still go through challenging experiences. But especially when we have our hands open and we're we're willing, there's so much that can come out of that. I am a much better person in the relationship I am currently in because of lessons that I learned in the last one. That was one takeaway that I had. God has such a bigger lens and perspective than I do. When that relationship ended, that was devastating. And I was like, okay, God, I'll go be a monk in a faraway country I have no use for relationships anymore. (laughs) I'm yours. (laughs) Take me where you will. And I actually was very open to very different things than I had been when I was in a relationship as far as ministry or something like that. But God works things out. And looking backwards, I'm able to say I was really glad to be in that relationship. I got a lot out of it. I think I was able to offer a lot. I think that there was a lot of growth on both sides of the table. I'm thankful for how things turned out. I'm thankful to be where I am and to be soon marrying the person that I will. Somehow, and there were so many times where I couldn't see this, you know, tearful nights or prayerful nights where I just couldn't see how things could get better or how things could come out of this. They do. They do. God has a way of working And one of the good things that comes out of those hard experiences is that that we're now able to come alongside someone who's going through a similar thing and relate to them and be there with them in their experience in a way that we couldn't. Maybe you could even cite that as a, a brief answer for why challenges exist. That's one reason God allows us to endure the difficult things that we do. First of all, thank you for sharing that. I know that that's deeply personal, but I look at those lessons that you talk about and those all seem like things that we can take away from seeming failures across the board. Things that we might look back on in the moment and say like, wow, that really just imploded. And rather than just writing things off as that was a failure, that was a waste of time to look back and say, what are the things that I'm actually learning about who I am and the way that God has created me so that I can live that out appropriately? Uh, But then also, what are the things that he's teaching me about the way that I treat and interact with other people? Those difficult times are useful both for personal development, but also for being a better part of a community and knowing how to interact with the people around us in a way that is more honoring to them and more honoring to the way that God has created us to live with other people. I think that's really amazing that you can see some of those things from difficult times. These things kind of lead me into the last question. I think maybe you've already provided a few of these things for us along the way, but I'll ask if there's any others. Is there anything that you would tell somebody that's graduating right now? Here's something I wish I knew. Let me instill this upon you so that you can be better prepared for what's about to happen. Yeah. In Tanzania, where I grew up, the main tribe in that area are the Maasai. 
And a phrase that you'll often hear them say is eti enkai. And that translates to God is. It reminds me of the time when Moses is going back to Egypt and he says, well, when they ask who you are, what should I tell them? And God says, I am. And that's been something that I've come back to in this stressful commuting lifestyle. I go to school with my lunchbox and my backpack and my books and some earphones and a water bottle. And I would just tote all this stuff around with me, uh, you know, all these in a way burdens. And I didn't rest until I got home. God is, God was there. When I was wrestling through difficult questions, when I was doing gap years that were unplanned as far as my book, God is. And it, it took time to look back and see that. And there were a lot of times where I didn't feel like that was true. But I think if we're honest and we have our eyes open, the conclusion we reach is that God is. God is there. God is working through our most difficult challenges. He might be putting us through experiences to strengthen us, to make us better to come alongside someone. He might be keeping us from something, you know? We don't know all that. What we do know, the thing we have faith in is that eti enkai, God is. Wow. Okay, let me try. Say it one more time. Eti enkai. Eti enkai? Yep, perfect. Enkai is God. Eti enkai. God is. It's such a simple phrase, but it's kind of a mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. And honestly, looking back feels like an ongoing theme that you've been encountering through college and since graduation. God is. Nika, thank you so much for giving us your time and for sharing your life with us. I am so grateful for our conversation today. This has been awesome. Eti Ankai. Thank you to the Maasai people for having such a fantastic phrase, and thank you to Nika for sharing it with us. Eti Ankai. I'm guessing that many of us have been able to identify with Nika at one time or another. We had a big dream and a plan to achieve it, and at some point, maybe even right now, we feel stuck because things didn't work out. What do we do with that? Where do we go from here? I wish I knew. I don't have a great answer, but I think the words of the Maasai through Nika are something we can hold on to in those times. God is. God is faithful. God is forgiving. God is providing. These aren't just things he did in the past or will do someday. They're things he is actively doing right now. Even when we can't see him or hear him. Even when our instinct is to think that the only thing God is, is against me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in this situation. Please hear me. He is protecting you. He is at work in you. I think we just have to ask the question, do I believe that what God is doing, even if I can't see it right now, is worth waiting for? It's easier said than done, but the answer is always yes. Eti enkai, friends. God is. Hey, thanks for joining me this week. I love getting to share the stories of other alumni with you. You all mean the world to us. Do not forget that. Looking forward to being back together next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, make sure that you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, turn on notifications, and set those episodes to download automatically. Have a great week. I will see you in the after, alumni.